Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are continuing in our current series uh, entitled Important Prophecy Terms, and we're looking at seven sets of terms and comparing and contrasting them so that we have a, a better scriptural understanding, a better scriptural foundation when we start looking at our next series that has to do with the 30 prophetic events that the Bible tells us will take place between now and the period called eternity, which is described in the very last chapters of the very last book of the Bible of Revelation. So I found that as I was preparing some of the details for that look at the 30 prophetic events, that there were key terms that if we don't have a good understanding, a good grasp of what they mean and how they are compared and contrasted with similar terms, we can miss a lot of the good meat, if you will, of the meaning of these prophetic events and can actually uh, get trapped, as so many people do, unfortunately, into a misinterpretation of what the Scripture is actually saying. And examples of that, if you've been with us for a while, you know from listening, or even more importantly, if you have a copy of the worksheet that we're using, which you can download from this radio station, uh, you see terms like the Son of God compared to the Son of Man. Uh, You might think, well, that's the same person, that's Jesus, and you know what? You'd be correct. But if you look at these two terms and how they're used, you can see very clear contrasts. And as we pointed out over and over again here through the Scriptures, The Son of Man applies to Jesus talking to believers as someone who is coming to reward and to bless. And the Son of Man, again, a description of Jesus, but it's a period of time when he's going to come to judge the unbelieving world, and he's going to bring punishment with him. There's not going to be rewards. It's going to be punishment. So when you see the term Son of God or Son of Man, when it's capitalized, therefore, relating to Jesus, you can pretty much get a good grasp almost immediately of who's being spoken to about what, because you'll see Son of God used with believers and Son of Man used with unbelievers, a period of judgment. So that's uh, point number one, that first set of terms. The second set of terms is what we started in our last program, and I'm excited about this because basically when we talk about the day of Christ, as you see in the worksheet, The day of Christ contrasted with the day of the Lord, you're talking about two significant periods of time. The day of Christ is the rapture of the church, and the day of the Lord is a period of time highlighted by the second coming of Christ. So as I pointed out in our last program, you can almost look right above the day of Christ to see the term the Son of God. They're related because the Son of God is coming at the day of Christ to reward believers, the church. And on the other side of the ledger, you see the Son of Man 
is coming on the day of the Lord at the second coming to judge the unbelieving, the unrighteous. So you can see, hopefully, as we draw these contrasts with these seven sets of terms, you can see how Jesus, uh, God the Father, the triune Godhead, how how they're dealing with the unbeliever versus how they deal with the believer. It helps to very clearly differentiate that. But unfortunately, because we don't have a grasp of these terms, and by the way, this is not an exhaustive set of terms. It's just seven that came to me as I was preparing for the next series on the prophetic events yet future, that these kept popping up. And if we didn't know the difference, we would we would just blend them together and miss a lot of the important information that we derive from knowing the distinction between them. So we're in point number two uh, in today's program, and that's the day of Christ. And our first three that you first three uh, verses that you see for our uh, reference as we explore this term are all in Philippians. So let's go to the book of Philippians, and that would be uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, and we get Galatians, Ephesians, and then we get to Philippians, and that is Paul's letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi which is up in the northeast corner of uh, modern-day Greece, modern-day Greece. In fact, uh, my wife and I have been to Philippi as part of a uh, study tour of Paul's uh, missionary journey when he went through Greece uh, a couple of times. And it's it's an amazing archaeological site. All right, we were in Philippians, and we went to Philippians chapter 1. So very quickly, since they're just single verses, let's review them very quickly to get the context, the flow of what we're talking about here about the day of Christ. We want, we're relating it to the rapture. So if we're relating it to the rapture, it's a very positive uh, thing. It's an event that the Bible over and over again in the New Testament says that we should eagerly look forward to, eagerly await the day of Christ, the day uh, when Christ comes for his church. And we see in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, For I, Paul talking here, I am confident of this very thing. And of course, he can say that because Paul was taught by Christ. And you say, wait a minute, Christ died before Paul ever became a believer. That's true. But Christ came to him, manifested himself to Paul uh, on the road to Damascus, and then personally taught, taught him while he was in uh, Arabia, in the Arabian desert. So he was taught by Christ before he ever encountered the apostles and anyone else. And that point is made very clear in Paul's writings. So when he says he's confident, I understand what he means. For I am confident of this very thing, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he, referring to the triune Godhead and principally the Holy Spirit, He who began a good work in you, and he's referring to the church, you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So it's basically telling us that the Holy Spirit, the moment you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, came into your life, and he is doing what's referred to by Paul a good work, a good work in you. This is the sanctification process of a Christian as they grow more and more Christ-like. He has begun a good work in you. And then another matter-of-fact statement, 
He will perfect it. He will bring it to its fruition. He will bring it to its mature state. And when will that happen? The day of Christ, the day of Christ Jesus. And we know that to be through many cross-references that hopefully you'll see as we go through these scriptures, differentiate this from the day of the Lord. And you say, well, wait a minute, Christ Jesus and the Lord are the same. And day is the same. That's right. But you, as you go through, it'll be very, hopefully very clearly distinguishable that these are two totally separate events, one involving the believer, uh, referred to as the church, and the other principally involving the unbeliever. It's all of those who are on the earth, on the earth at the time the Christ that Christ comes back at his second coming. So it's two different events separated by a number of years, at least seven years, between the rapture of the church and the second coming. So there is a work that's being undertaken in you as a believer by the Holy Spirit, and we should take great comfort in that. We should also be humbled by that because the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling you as a precious believer in Jesus Christ, and he wants nothing more than to bring you to a full understanding of the Scriptures because this is God's completed Word. If you've got your Bible sitting in front of you, and I pray that you do, because that's one of the main purposes of this teaching ministry is to learn the Bible, learn the books, learn the flow, learn God's plans, God's will, God's character by studying the, the, the Scriptures itself, that, that you see this flow, you see this purpose that God has for the life of a Christian, and that is to a good work that will be perfected and that day is going to be when we see him face to face. And then it's this, this whole concept is built on by Paul in Philippians. And um, I had said verse 10 the last time we were together, and I went back to verse 9 to give us more context. So let's do that again. In Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, And, and this I pray, Paul talking, this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. And how does it abound? In real knowledge and all discernment. That real knowledge is a knowledge of God. That discernment is an understanding of God's word so that we can walk worthy. Verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. You approve them because you know them, you discern them. And you know the things of God because they are excellent, as opposed to the things of of darkness, of night, of Satan, which are pure evil. So that through your knowledge, your real knowledge of God, verse 9, and your discernment of God's word, you can approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless. So that this sincerity and this blameless state that we have, we can have right now while we're here on the earth because we have made the effort to grow in our real knowledge of the Word, to grow in our discernment of what is right and what is wrong, what is light and what is dark, and through that, being able to approve the things that are excellent so that you can be known as someone who is looking to achieve excellence in their life through following God's Word and looking uh, for, for the ways to please God, because Paul says, in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5, he says, our role really, our purpose on earth is to please God. And then we find out uh, what pleases God, and that's growing in our knowledge of who he is and being about his work. And we want to be sincere and blameless, it says, until the day of Christ. So he's talking to the church. He's talking about becoming more and more Christ-like so that we can approve the things that are excellent so that um, when the day of Christ comes, we can be rewarded for the working out of our faith in our lives from the point in time that we became Christians. That's what the judgment seat of Christ, the Son of God, is all about. It's to receive rewards. It's to receive blessings. The judgment seat of Christ has absolutely nothing to do with sin, whereas the second coming of Christ, which is the focal point of the day of the Lord, the opposite of the day of Christ, the focal point of the day of the Lord is judging sin, judging sin. So hopefully you can see these clear distinctions here that this is all very positive. It's talking about growing as a Christian, growing as a member of Christ's body so that we can be approved when we see him face to face. And by approved means to be rewarded, not to be judged for sin. So I pray that you can see that clear distinction here that the day of Christ has everything to do with the Son of God bringing rewards to you and nothing to do with sin. So let's move on here in, stay in the book of Philippians, and let's go over to chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and let's go to uh, verse 16. It says, holding fast the word of life. Well, what's the word of life? That's the Bible. Holding fast, firmly grasping it, studying it, um, uh, working it out in your life holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So this is Paul talking about holding fast the word of life so that when I stand before Christ I will have reason to glory because we will be there glorifying Christ in all of his glory and we will be sharing in his glory, the Bible says, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. In other words, you can actually be a Christian and toil in vain. Uh, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about, I believe starting around verse 11, it talks about how when we build a foundation in our Christian life, um, based on precious stones or based on wood stubble hay. And, of course, wood stubble hay is something that easily burns up in the fire of judgment. And that's your works as a Christian, after you're saved, they will be judged in the fire at the Bema seat. And, of course, if, you, if you've done it in a worthy way that pleases God, it'll be out of precious stones and it'll pass judgment and you'll be rewarded for it. But if it's wood stubble hay, as it's described there in 1 Corinthians 3, those works will be burned up. And it says that you will be, you will go to heaven, you will be in heaven, but it'll be through that judgment and you'll receive no rewards. So that's what he's talking about here. That's what he's referring to when he says that I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Um, 
So hopefully that point is clear that the day, again, the day of Christ is a very positive thing when the church will all be brought together. And this is everyone who died in faith in Jesus Christ from the beginning of the church, which we find in Acts chapter 2, the very beginning of Acts chapter 2. It's called the day of Pentecost, and that's the first time that through faith the Holy Spirit comes in to permanently indwell a believer indwell that believer forever. And that's the that's a major distinction of the church as opposed to the Old Testament saints, as opposed to those that uh, come to faith during the um, tribulation period. This is uh, a Holy Spirit that indwells the church permanently. And that is uh, what uh, allows us to grow in our faith. He leads us in a growth in our faith if we will simply let him do that. And that all comes to a glorious conclusion, a glorious fruition, if you will, a full blossoming, a full blooming of our work when we see Christ face to face and are judged for our works so that we can receive rewards. So I pray that we're not toiling in vain today, but we are running a race to win because we are looking forward to the rewards that only Christ can give to the church, and those rewards are given at the day of Christ. So that's Philippians and Paul's um, dealing with the day of Christ in Philippians. Let's now go over to um, 1 Corinthians. So we want to go back to the left in our Bible, past Ephesians and Galatians, and then we get into the two books Paul wrote to the very interesting church at Corinth. And I say interesting because... um, Paul talks about the church at Corinth all being saved, all being bought uh, with the blood of Christ, all being bought with a price, he says. And when you go through uh, particularly 1 Corinthians, but both 1 and 2 Corinthians, you see it was a very, um, for lack of a better term, an interesting church with a lot of sin going on. Um, But they're believers that are temporarily Um, dealing in sin and have to be corrected. But he says all of them will be saved. So it shows you that this idea of a partial rapture, that only super Christians who live a squeaky clean life are the only ones going in the rapture. No, everyone who professes Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will go in the rapture. Uh, Some may receive more rewards than others based on what they did in their life, but nevertheless, that profession is what saves you, not the way you necessarily lead your life. So we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse 8. It says, Who will also confirm you to the end, talking about Jesus, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to continue on. In fact, we'll go back here to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verses 7 and 8 and build on that as we go forward in our exploration of the Scriptures dealing with the day of Christ. But now we want to take time out, as we do in every program, and go to our Q&A, and we have been spending time looking at the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the tribulation, in the seven-year tribulation. And we've made the point through a study of the Scriptures uh, many times now that the Holy Spirit will function in the tribulation as he did in the Old Testament, not as he does now in the New Testament. 
period, or what we call the eight church, uh, church age. And by that I mean by very quick review, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on someone who was righteous in their life and through faith, but if they did not re- maintain that righteousness uh, at the point in their life when they died, if they were dealing in iniquity and were not counted being counted as righteous, the Holy Spirit would not stay on them. He would leave them, and they would therefore be judged uh, as unbelievers and would uh, spend eternity in the lake of fire. So the Holy Spirit would come on and come off, and we, sh- we went through a number of scriptures to make that point. Uh, in the church age, the Holy Spirit comes in you and never leaves you. But when the church is taken out at the rapture before the tribulation begins, that whole economy of how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the church is taken to heaven, and it goes back to the Old Testament manifestation of the Holy Spirit where he would come on and, and go off of people depending on their righteousness. And that point is made clear in Matthew 25, and that's where we've been. And we've been going through several points to contrast Matthew 25, the first 13 verses that deal with what's called the parable of the ten virgins, which is a clear description of how the Holy Spirit works in the in the tribulation period, again, as he did in the Old Testament. And we compare, we contrasted that with the rapture passage that we read, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And um, if you weren't with us uh, when we read through that, or you need to refresh, I would highly recommend that you go back and look at that passage. Again, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, because you can clearly see that what's described there, uh, dealing with the rapture of the believing church, does not parallel what we find in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And we went through and we were uh, listing those contrasts that we found between those two passages, and we talked about the fact that, uh, first of all, in context, Jesus is talking about the, the tribulation period and his second coming as the theme uh, by way of answering the apostles' questions there on the Mount of Olives. Uh, all the way through Matthew 24 and 25, which is called the Olivet Discourse. So the the contextual theme is the same all the way through. So we know there he's not talking about the rapture, he's talking about the second coming. And very quickly we talked about how uh, in Matthew 25 it's talking about ten virgins or ten maidens. There's nothing in there about the bride. Well, if you're talking about the church, the church is one, as Paul calls them, calls the church one chaste virgin, one chaste virgin. Here you have ten maidens. So basically, if this is the rapture, then it looks to me like we've been demoted from bride to bridesmaid, if you will, or something like that. And we're not even talking about the wedding here. We're talking about the wedding feast, uh, as we find in Matthew chapter 25, verse 10. Um it's amazing, uh, just as a side note, when you listen to pastors use this passage in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, to, they say, describe the rapture, they get down to verse 10, and they say wedding. Well, if you go into the Greek, it's wedding feast. Well, the wedding and the wedding feast are two totally different events. Both of them are for the bride, but only 
the uh, attendants, the maidens, and others are invited to the wedding feast. You know, Revelation 19 said, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast. Well, a bride is not invited to her own wedding. It's all about her. She is the center of attention. Uh, or I should say she's the center of attention in the Western world. At the time of Christ and Israel, the bridegroom was also the center of attention. And as as it relates to the church, that should be the case, since we are talking about Jesus being the bridegroom. But nevertheless, we are the bride. We are not ten virgins. We talked about there's no mention of the bride anywhere in, in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. There's no mention of the body of Christ There's no reference to the term in Christ to describe the people here. There's no description of a translation of anybody in a rapture. There's no discussion of a resurrection of anybody that would relate to a rapture. Nowhere in 25 is any of this talked about. Um, And I think a very key point is the fact that the bridegroom is described as being on the earth at this point. Well, if this is the wedding if this is the rapture of the church, the, the scriptures very clearly tell us, and that's one of the main reasons we went to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through, uh, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, is to show that Christ does not come to the earth. He comes in the clouds, and we go up to meet him. The living at that time are translated bodily, and those that are dead in Christ are resurrected out of the graves at the same time to go up and meet the Lord and go on with him to heaven. That's not described anywhere in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then it talks about um, all all of the um, maidens, the virgins, all 10 of them were at one point in time asleep. <laughs> well, when at any time is the church all asleep? He's clearly describing Israel because there were periods of time in Israel's history uh, and certainly it'll be the same thing during the tribulation when they are being greatly tempted by the Antichrist, that Israel will basically be turned away. They'll be asleep, if you will, spiritually asleep. And only part of them will awaken, as we find here as a description, because this is talking about principally Israel during the tribulation. Uh, verse 5 talks about um, while the bridegroom delays, well, again, in context with Matthew, if you go back up to Matthew 24, and it says in Matthew 24, verse 38, but if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. In other words, he's delaying. So this is a carry-on of the eight parables that Jesus is relating about being alert, being uh, maintaining your righteousness all the way through. Um. We know that all Christians, if we read 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, all Christians are going to be raptured. Here, the idea that only part of the Christian body is going to be raptured is totally fallacious. So to take that and apply it to um, the five that are prudent as being the only Christians raptured is taking this totally out of context. And then uh, finally, we have a Uh, consistency with the other parables that Jesus relates, not only here, but also in um, Matthew chapter 7 when he's finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. And there he's talking about at the end of Matthew 25, uh, verse 12, he says, to those five virgins who tried to come in who had not had the oil 
It says, but he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Well, if you go to Matthew 27, you see the same thing. He's talking about people who say, Lord, Lord, and he says, I never knew you, because he's talking about the tribulation, not the rapture. So we will continue this look at Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins, in our next program. Remember, if I don't talk with you again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.